the Freed from the Real podcast is brought to you each week by PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and CapeFearGames.com. You can listen to us each week on PureMTGO.com, MTGOTraders.com, and MTGCast.com. I'll be one of your hosts, Adrian. With me is the delightful KSLA. Hey, guys. And the unstoppable Rune Liger, Sebastian Park. Thanks for that. As ever, this is the Free From Real podcast, bringing you all the news that's fit to listen to regarding the online game and stuff from the offline game of interest to us, such as the latest round of Gatecrash spoilers. What's come smashing in through the front way that you've been interested in, gentlemen? Um, well, for me personally, the card that caught my attention, because it does remind me of a card that I really enjoyed playing, and I think is quite a bit better, actually, is uh, Skullcrack. This is one and a red, uh, deal three damage to target player, and that player can't gain life this turn, and damage can't be prevented this turn. So it's very similar in flavor to uh, Flames of the Blood Hand, but in the incinerate form instead of the uh, char form, I guess. Sounds about right. Yeah. Yep. Cheaper, hits hard, gets the job done. Absolutely. And I mean, in this, and it, I think it even works out better because before you had issues, you know, you wanted to play Flames of the Blood Hand in response to like Loxon on a High Arc or, you know, even Kitchen Finks at the time, which was hard to do, especially, you know, if you were on the draw. You really slowed yourself down, whereas here, your biggest worry for life gain right now is probably Thragtusk. Um, and so you're at a point in the game when Thragtusk can come down that you've already developed a board somewhat, and you could it's not inconceivable that you could play a 2-drop and then still leave 2 mana open for when they cast Thragtusk next turn to stop that life gain. Yep. So I'm excited about that card. I love me some mono red um, and red aggro. And I think it's a very good card to have, considering how tough of a battle Red has these days, with life gain being much improved. Agree. Although, if if you can just dodge it all the time, I'm sure you can do very well. Yeah, that helps too, but you can't always count on that. Uh, So that's my number one card that I've seen so far. Plus, the art is pretty sweet. It actually does depict a skull Mm -hmm. being cracked. Yep, this is true. (laughs) Not sure how that prevents you from gaining life. If, I guess if you if you're dead, yeah. It. Well, you're disoriented. Maybe you can't find your your life gain potion, or you can't, you know, find a way to prevent it. I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> you, you, know, you know, how does a how does a flying hawk carry a sword? Like you know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I my my personal favorite. I'm going to be the cop out here. Is that the new Gideon looks uh, looks pretty interesting? I mean, there's been a lot of controversy as to whether it's broken or or very good or just you know, okay. Uh, I'm I'm in the more of the okay camp than more most people I would say. Um, I, I think here you're probably in a in a similar camp as well. Yeah, um, I think he has potential. Um, I don't like planeswalkers that don't do anything to protect themselves. Um, I like them to at least have something or at least a way to immediately generate card advantage. Um, and Gideon doesn't do either of those. So that makes me skeptical of him being an auto-include as a Planeswalker in decks. 
But I think given the right environment, depending upon the way formats shake out and what's expected at a tournament, he could be a good matchup play that would be worth considering. Yeah. And so for those of you guys who don't know, the new Gideon is a four-mana planeswalker, two white white. It's Gideon, Champion of Justice. Uh, he, uh, his plus one is put a loyalty counter on Gideon, Champion of Justice, for each creature target player, a uh, target opponent creature, uh, target opponent controls. His zero ability in the form of Gideon until end of turn, Gideon, Champion of Justice becomes an indestructible uh, human soldier creature with power and toughness equal to the number of loyalty counters on him. He's uh, he's still a planeswalker. Prevent all damage that would be dealt to him this turn, and exile and his minus fifteen. So if you're if you're lucky enough to have an opponent with eleven creatures in play, uh, will bring him up to fifteen is to exile all other permanents. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, he, I mean, he seems pretty good. I mean, he's like I think his his having a four 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 isn't a horrible card. To be honest with you. Oh, you you go underwater there, Sebastian. So maybe a little bit. <laughs> okay. Getting back to us from <laughs> a pineapple under the sea, I guess. So. No, I mean, exactly. you're right. He's 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 got potential. I just whenever I try to imagine board states where he good where he's good, I don't come up with as many as I would like. I guess is the case where you think about the planeswalkers. Like just for example, like you know, say you're in a situation where they have a lot of creatures, and that's where you get a big loyalty bump. Well, if they have like a Rakdos Cackler and like a Gorehouse Chainwalker and some other creature in play, yeah, he jumps up to eight loyalty. But if you did that on turn four and you have nothing, he's just going to immediately die. Uh, so really, you've just yeah. cast Fog. Um, you know. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there, there is that. The other thing I would say is that uh, he seems like his the strongest part of this card is that he's a planeswalker, and so he's hard to deal with for a lot of different decks. And that's probably his um, his biggest strength, in my opinion. Um, his biggest negative is that you know his plus one really doesn't interact with the board state that much, um, which is really weird for a planeswalker. They usually interact with the board state in some way, whether it's giving them minus one, minus zero, drawing you a bunch of cards. Or like um, returning cards to uh, opponent's hand, but like you said, this card you know, he just puts counters on himself. He doesn't really like matter until you activate his second ability, and by then he's a creature and is swinging. So you know it's it's not really a reactive play either. He's curious, and he interacts very well with um, wrath effects and say a couple of walls um, in front of him. Um, if you can defend him early on. Um, build up a few counters whilst there's plenty of opposition which you can hold off then Roth have got everything away and start swinging with him the same turn that could be effective mm-hmm. yeah it's just going to yeah. depend on things because like if you know like hanging back to when the last Gideon like he was also he was in the same style obviously as a planeswalker and he did very well but we had cards like uh, Squadron Hawk and Wall of Omens to get in the way and not to mention he immediately jumped massively um in loyalty counters and could kill things himself. But, you know, it's just going to depend on the environment. If we don't get back to something like that where we have a way to put stuff in the way and, and dodge for a turn or two, um, you know, I don't know. He's a, yeah, I mean, also, the um, the old Gideon was a much better fog in that you had to attack it. So yeah, yeah, he definitely put, you know, he could put your opponent in bad. Like, I know I've definitely faced some times where being forced to attack with Gideon caused my creatures to run into a wall of creatures that just, they died to. So, yeah, there's certainly big differences between the two, and I don't know that he'll be as prolific as his 
uh, younger self, but we'll see. AJ, anything? Uh, all the permanences. What's up? Yeah, and the, yeah, obviously, if you get the ultimate off, he's he's bananas, of course. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to, you know, we can go on any any card that interests you, AJ. Looking at the other end of the scale, um, I'm quite intrigued by what's essentially a functional reprint: rapid hybridization, a single blue mana, instant destroy target creature. It can't be regenerated. His controller puts a 3-3 green frog lizard token onto the battlefield. Yeah, Pongify, baby. Pongify with, yeah, with new creature types, uh, a very simic twist. Um, frog lizards, you got to like that, and it is so, is it? Is it? It is. It is. No, sorry, not is it. Um, simic. <laughs> is, it, is it simic? Is, is it, <laughs> now you're just mixing gear. Oh. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, it's, that's it's a great card. I, I like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, it's. I, I mean, it's it's definitely been good before. Um, there were times that called for Pongify to be played. It's a funny little card, to be sure. Um, especially because it's it sometimes can even be worthwhile to blow up your own creature. Um, given the fact you have three three in its place. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Fun one. Oh, hey, you're about to lightning bolt my um, Delver. Fine, I'll switch my 3-2 flying for 3-3 on the ground. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, yeah. be very interesting. You can also blow up your own Thrag Tusk and get two 3-3s. Now, the really nasty play would be doing this... Um, uh, would be... If you're being attacked by the... Well, possibly by a Thrag Tusk, you could... Um, on an empty board, um, flashes back with um, a Snapcaster. Target your own Snapcaster and have a, a 3-3 blocker. Yeah. <laughs> All <laughs> sorts of fun to be had. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those cards where I looked at it, I was like, oh, I want to hear about this from aging a little bit, so I don't have to mention it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's fun. We did get some clarification now that we've had some more cards come out on Blood Rush. Um, so basically, it does, in effect, do, you know, you pay a cost and discard the creature card to give another creature the stats of that creature, essentially. Um, and we know that we have, like, Scrog Goliath, um, which is an 8-mana 9-9 nine, nine with Trample, who also has Blood Rush. So instead of casting him, you could pay 7 and discard him to give target creature plus 9, plus 9, and Trample. Um, so he's both a big, fat creature and a potential Might of Oaks type. Nice. So basically, Blood Rush, yeah, you kind of temporarily tack one of your creatures onto another creature. For whatever reason, it kind of makes me think of Marvel vs. Capcom, whenever you did, like, the ultimate combos and, like, your other characters kind of jumped in and helped out with the attack (laughs) for a minute. That's what I think of Blood Rush as. (laughs) So you're doing a temporary combo to do a lot of damage one time. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like, it's... I'm I'm really glad that it it seems as though the uh, abilities of the creatures comes with it. That sounds great. Like, um, it's going to be very interesting to be able to play these cards in combination with Return to Maratica as ways to, you know, spice things up in your different colored decks. It's going to be very interesting to see how people uh, handle the combat set when anybody attacking with untapped red or green mana could uh, theoretically dump almost anything um, onto their uh, card. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great, great mechanic for Eliminate. Like, I'm... I'm 
drooling already. Yeah, so. basically it almost doubles the number of combat tricks you have to be concerned about um, when you're playing green red against green red. Yeah, the other thing to look out for is if is if there's a raised dead effect, and if we've got the Orzhov Guild, we've almost certainly got at least one raised dead effect, or um, uh, reanimate effect. Because um, if you're um, if there, if there's a suitably cheap and effective um, blood rush for a powerful effect, and then you follow it up by bringing that thing back into play, that'd be pretty sick. Agreed. Um, I got another another card here that I would think is really cool. It's Call of the Nightwing, um, and it is a Demir card with Cipher, which I wasn't initially excited about the initial card release, but I do like this mechanic, especially with this. Uh, Call of the Nightwing is two, one blue, one black, so a total of four mana. Put a one, one blue and black horror creature token with flying onto the battlefield. And then it has Cipher, so after you cast it, you basically imprint it onto a creature, and whenever that creature deals combat damage to a player, you cast it again. As soon as I saw this, it just immediately made me think of Invisible Stalker and how basically that kind of gives you um, Bitter Blossom back. <laughs> like on turn... You, Only without the life loss. Exactly. So you you know, you know tack down an Invisible Stalker, and then on turn four, you get a 1-1 flyer, you attack for one, you get another 1-1 flyer, and you're going to get another 1-1 flyer every attack step from that point forward. Until somebody rots. Yes. Yep. That's not bad. I mean, I, I like the card. I think the card has probably has some more play potential than Gideon. Yeah. Yeah. Two two very different styles of cards, but yeah, one I, I think is pretty interesting and worth considering. Cipher, you know, we knew had the potential to be an interesting mechanic and limited, um, for sure to get more value out of your creatures, but it was questionable whether or not there might be some constructive value cards, and that one I think could be one. Yep. AJ, not a no interest in um, Bio Visionary or Death Pact Angel. I thought those would be two cards you'd be very interested in. Bio Visionary looks uh, quite interesting. I will admit, when I first saw it, um, my immediate thought was, "Hmm, how many ways can I think of getting as many copies of these to play as possible?" <laughs> There's a couple of obvious answers. Um, uh, the various um, uh, everything from spitting image to um, what was the uh, blue flashback uh, clone spell? Oh, um, cackling counterpart. That's the one. Because yeah. uh, cackling counterpart on its own with one of these in play gets you uh, uh, three quarters of the way there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you also have you know um, like phantasmal image and Phyrexian metamorph. And- you yeah, can reach back to the vault and play clone. Or, of course, um, if you're going for the uh, full star point single card win, then there's always um, a kick to right of replication. Yeah, that would do it. What about, um, oh, Mirror Weave? Wouldn't that work? Yeah, that... Mirror Weave would work, yeah. Yeah. Beginning of your end step. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, do we have the super... For those of you unaware of what uh, we're talking about... Biovisionary is uh, one colorless, one green, one blue, human wizard. At the beginning of the end step, if you control four or more creatures named Biovisionary, you win the game. Two, three. Now, the end step thing is key, because you don't have to keep them alive until the beginning of your own turn. Um, 
if you can start swarming these things, then your opponent is uh, doomed. Yep, that's the uh, you know it's not the typical alternate win condition where you have to wait until the beginning of your upkeep, which has been the case historically. Um, now, nope. If you get it done during your turn, it's over. Yep. So if you build an entire deck full of nothing but clone effects, or say Soul Foundry, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'd be interesting. Uh, do we have Vesuvian Doppelganger on Magic Online? Has that been? We do, yeah, yes. Yeah, it's, it's been one of the med sets, I imagine. Yeah, we have Vesuvian Doppelganger, Vesuvian Shapeshifter, um, Vesuva. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Vesuvian Shapeshifter on um, Doppelganger is one of my favorite cards. Yeah, that's... That's one of the cards I've ever seen, actually. I think I saw it for the first time. Like, it's like... That of Wild Mongrel were like the two of the first cards I ever saw played. No, you have you have no idea how cool I thought I was back in the day with like one of my first decks ever where I would play a Mahamodi Jin and then like the next turn I was like playing a Vesuvian Doppelganger to make another Mahamodi Jin. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> playing the beatdown in middle school lunch table magic. My god, that's that's too broken. You we need a we need a bad hammer that what's uh, what was no, what's and here's what's funny, like people would get mad because I would go like turn one dark ritual, dark ritual singer vampire. They thought that was overpowered, but I also had a soul ring and mind twist in that deck. And no one ever was concerned about those cards. It's so funny to look back and see where you were <laughs> people going Did like blah, blah, turn one's turn one singer vampire is too ridiculous, blah blah, you just stop playing those cheesy cards. And then I'm like, I have a mind twist in here. <laughs> Have you ever tried turn two mind twisting and yeah. see how that's happening? <laughs> Seriously. Ah, oh, the good old days. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, um, I, I just, me being the kind of guy I am, I'm going to take the last one. And the last one, I think, you have to mention um, Domri Raid, the uh, three-mana uh, three Planeswalker, which, you know, three-mana Planeswalkers always gets me really excited. Um, it's one red and a green. And for those of you who don't know, it's like plus one. Let's look at the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, you may reveal it and put it into your hand. His minus two is that target creature can you control fights with another target creature. And his minus seven is you get an emblem of creatures you control have double strike, trample, hexproof, and haste. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seems interesting. I'm not sure where I play it, but three mana planeswalkers are always super interesting to me. They like somehow find a way. Now, the thought occurs that you might want to play it in a creature-based deck. You know, I, I, it crossed my mind, but then I realized that Planeswalkers always do better in blue-based decks, even if it's red-green. Well, especially in this case, like I feel like you pretty much have to play uh, blue-red-green for this guy, because you need to... If you're going to play him successfully, you need a way to manipulate your library as such that you are guaranteed to be successful on the plus one. Um, if you, all you do is add a loyalty counter and you miss then that is not worthwhile. You need to be able to secure the fact that there is going to be a creature on top of your library um, Agreed. in some so, way. So, so basically what you need is a reprint of Sensei's Divining Top. I would not be sad about that, no. <laughs> Never going to happen, but... Well, you might get something similar, you know? It's been a while. Yeah, they, they, I mean, they could. But it, uh, they just did not like how that slowed down the game. And being banned in, in modern certainly doesn't help its case. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. So, um, hey, you never know. Play with the top three cards of your library revealed. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they could do something similar. Like personally, I'm a big fan. I love Sylvan Library. I love Synthes. I love those cards like that. Skull Rack. Um, I've always thought those were fun cards, and I've always played them. Um, I drafted Sylvan Library quite a bit in Cube when I was playing it because I love the card. So yeah, I wouldn't. 
be mad if they try to take another stab at a variant of that kind of card. Yeah, I mean, I, I am a huge fan of, again, three mana planeswalkers. I feel like they almost always go play somehow. I have no idea because they're three mana. What do you what? What are you doing with three mana? Cat, flashback, flashback, uh, think twice. Come on, yeah. Does make you wonder if this thing could um, fit into uh, modern Jund builds, uh, which can be fairly creature heavy. Um, mm. uh, Bloodbraid Elf into Domri Raid into. Um, oh, hey, there's a Bloodbraid Elf in Domri Library. Yep. That wouldn't hurt. Uh, the only problem I see with Jund in that case is it's hard to get. You don't have too many creatures that are big enough to, to win a fight um, if you were going to use this minus two ability. Like, typically, you'd want to be playing some creatures that you can do the minus two and have your guy survive and their guy die. And I feel like in most cases for Jun, you'd be trading. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting if the current mono green deck, which plays the, uh, the what's it called, the, the triple green indestructible guy, I think this card would probably fit in that archetype if they ever want to splash the red. <laughs> Predator Ruse. That's a possibility, especially with the um, stomping grounds becoming uh, uh, standard legal. Yeah, I mean, Stomping Grounds are standard legal, and they'll have the red-green mana. They'll, they'll probably... I can definitely see that mono-green deck shifting into somewhat of the... In the vein of the current mono-red decks, shifted somewhat into the uh, Rakdos guild. And you can I can definitely see a similar thing happen where mono-green shifts somewhat into Gruul. So. Yeah, absolutely. Or even both shift into a new Jund. <laughs> That's what people want to see. Too much shifting. <laughs> the, play, the planes aren't breaking up that much, AJ. All right. Oh, they've broken up that much before. Yeah. But yes, now they're trying to keep them all together now. Although, like you said, I think it was last time, like um, that Grohl is kind of the, the odd man out on, on Ravnica with the nature of the plane and the nature of, of Grohl. So they might have to hybridize in some way. Either way, we'll have uh, a link to the Gatecrash spoilers in the show notes. If you want to go scroll through those and take a look, you can let us know. If there's any cards we missed that we should have talked about that you think are amazing or that are, you know, if you think we thought something was good and you think it's poop, let us know. Yeah, exactly. What do you say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so then the other bit of news that we have for you is a bit of controversy in a streamer uh, championship that went on apparently last couple days. It was a special event featuring eight of the most well-known uh, streamers of Magic Online through uh, Twitch TV. And some people are in a bit of a fuss about the fact, the fact that apparently basically one of the players was really two players. Um, they were The two of them were sitting there playing, discussing what they should play, what we should do this next turn, and things like this. And because some people... The biggest reason people are concerned is because that Wizards of the Coast gave out prize support for this tournament and this is kind of against the code of conduct essentially and so some people are like well you know it's a it's a tournament more that was just casual and like the community cup ish so it's not a big deal others are like no it's unacceptable for them to post that i don't know um just a little bit of controversy yeah i mean i if if anyone asks my opinion and no one ever does so thank god for that uh, I I would agree with what Heath says. Uh, we'll, we'll, uh, our very own Heath just was said very very straight up. Um, I don't see why we're complaining. These guys are doing us a service, and it's very good for MTGO. And you know, I, I was really turned off by the first comments where um, the the person who brought up the issue found it necessary to insult 
Michael Hetrick to calling him the worst player of the bunch, which I thought was uncalled for one. Two, it's, I mean, the thing was probably, I, I, I don't watch, I didn't watch the stream, but if I had Matt Nass and Michael Hetrick talking about Magic playing this event, I think that's pretty cool. Like, I, I don't know what other people are like complaining about. Like, it's, I think that's really cool. I think that adds to the effect. I know people definitely do it when I, you know, when, I, when my, uh, I have some friends who stream League of Legends and frequently I have other friends who play competitively and they're in the room and they're like, wow, you made a horrible decision here. And I think these things are important to have. Like, it's important to be able to abuse the ability of having other people involved. And it's not as if they were playing a mox event. They weren't playing a mox event where someone gets to go to the Pro Tour and they're a clear violation of the player uh, of the agreements. These are just two guys, something that's been done, I'm sure, countless times when people ask other people questions. And it's I, like, I'm not sure what the big fuss is about. And I completely agree with Keith when he says, in fact, this is an anti-fuss. You should like be fussing less because what they're doing is not only awesome, but great. Well, just in case, um, is it more that uh, what goes online stays online and that if it's something which um, leads to an offline event like the um, uh, Pro Tour invites, then uh, it's not okay in that circumstance, but it is okay in an online event? I mean, I think it depends. Like, yeah, one of the commenters talks about, he says, in a paper tournament, this behavior would get people disqualified. Here, it gets prize support from Wizards. I don't think that's fair because this event is not the equivalent of a Pro Tour. Um, also is the other thing. Like I said, it's more of a fun event to say thank you to people who, on their own, go out of their way to play this game and promote it through another service. So really yeah. it's more of a PR type of event. Um, and if they want to support that, that's great. And Like the Community Cup. <laughs> yeah, and quite, exactly, like the Community Cup. And, uh, and interestingly enough, I think it makes for a more interesting experience for the viewer to watch two people discussing a match from the same side. Yeah, and not to mention, I mean, like, one of the bigger gripes, I feel, the the first the guy who had came in and said was that he had won the event. And, like, in all honesty, uh, like, having played against Ship at Hollow and having, like, played against these other guys before, like, I'm sure you'll agree too, Kia, they're perfectly capable of making correct decisions on their own. <laughs> yes, I like actually, um, I've actually been the victim of, of Ship at Hollow. Like, I've seen myself playing against him on his videos that he's done in, like, when he records... Uh, daily events and he's by himself commenting by himself and he's handily beating me so it's not that he's not capable as a player right and like yeah. i mean he's he's a writer for channel fireball and like he, he there he i'm, I'm from what i understand because i so I, I talked to a couple of my friends who watch a lot of streams and he apparently is one of those guys who unlike paulo vitor who knows all the right answers instantly he's the kind of guy who sits through and thinks everything through. So it's you know, having another voice in his head is not going to like hurt him or help him. In all honesty, if he just, you know, it's, I, it's taxing to stream. Like it's, it's very hard to talk while you play. It takes a lot longer and it's, it's painful. It's like, it's people aren't used to doing it. So it's one of those things where um, I understand there's going to be a little bit of hoopla. Um, I'm glad that this hasn't become a full blown issue. Um, it's only, I think two pages over the course of a few days. So that's, and no one's really complained that in depth. And that, like, again, I think I'm going to take the company line and say, you know, what he said is completely correct. I think they're doing us a service. They're really bringing more people into magic, and that's great. I must admit, this is the first I heard of the Streamers Championship at all. So um, That too. <laughs> yeah, so maybe more people would complain it's if, not they known, that if they'd known it was there. But, yeah, have you heard of it before? Because I haven't heard of it. I, I had vaguely seen someone mention it at some point. 
uh, I kind of didn't really pay that much attention to it, mostly because it was, you know, in the middle of the holidays and all this mad, and it was like, I was like, whatever, I don't have time to sit and watch magic. Um, so, yeah, I did, that kind of got left off. Um, but, That's pretty much it. But, yeah, the only thing I think, obviously, you know, if this were like a Moxes event, like we had issues in the past where a known player was like playing in a Grand Prix and his account was playing in a Moxes on the same day. Obviously, that's grounds for DQ. If you could ever prove that two people were playing an account at the same time in the middle of a Moxus event or an online PTQ, that should be DQ'd, sure. In this kind of event, in this context, what's the big deal? Like, I don't, I don't see it. Um, so, yeah. What, go, what goes on casual stays in casual, essentially. Yeah, essentially. Agreed. Like... And this was essentially a casual event for those purposes. But if you have another argument and you disagree with us, you know, feel free to let us know. Okay. I love to hear. Yep. All right. Last little bit of news. Um, we found out we sadly have a discrepancy in the promos for Thursday and Friday Night Magic again. And that leaves us with Acidic Slime as our January Thursday Night Magic online promo. <laughs> Sorry. I, I, this is not a laughing matter, I'm sure. Thank you, thank you, Wizards, for giving us free cards anyway. Yeah. Yes. I mean, hey, it's not the worst card. Yeah. It has seen, you know, certainly in like pod style deck, decks where you can search it out if you play it as a one of. So it's not the worst thing ever. Yeah. And hey, it's uh, kind of fitting just after the holidays anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah. Uh, sadly, we'll miss out on Searing Spear, uh, which is the Friday Night Magic promo in real life. But, uh, you know, maybe it'll come back to us at a later date. Mm-hmm. Yep. They, um, let's face it, they pro- they'll probably stick it in one of the um, uh, uh, two slots for a um, player reward. Yeah, either the, the tournament promo or the store promo. I hope it's the, the tournament promo, personally, because I wouldn't mind getting a hold of them. So. Agreed. Mm-hmm. All right. Moving okay. on from a fairly old corset card. Yeah, <laughs> from a from a mediocrely kind of played and constructed corset card. Let's talk about some prices of cards that are seeing us play. Um, and for that, we have again, you know, going over the modern prices uh, for last week. Most everything kind of stayed the same. We had a few things. Uh, they've been noted if they moved up or down. That basically means they went up about a dollar, um, maybe down a dollar. Um, or in that range, way up maybe a couple of bucks, and then there were a couple that really plummeted. Um, specifically, uh, Scape Shift lost almost half of its value, um, down from about twenty down to thirteen eighty. I guess uh, people you know fought hard to get a hold of Scape Shifts now that it was legal, and then found out, eh, not that great. Oh hey, there's a reason they unbanned it. Yeah. Yep, how very weird. Yeah. Um, I mean, other cards that are worth mentioning is that uh, Angel, uh, what's it, Restoration Angel, is stayed at the same price, or actually went down a little bit, but he sold out. So maybe maybe once once people realize, oh, it's under $16, everyone just snapped them right up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, it kind of creeped right up to that point. It didn't lose a whole lot of value, but clearly the little value it lost uh, was enough to get people to buy it out. So it is gone. Linvala, Keeper of Silence, seems to be edging up, up, and up, currently at uh, uh, 30 and two-thirds of a ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, not too surprising in that it's the main sort of uh, null rod effect available in the modern format. 
Yeah, she she stops a great number of cards, is reasonably costed, and is a mythic from a set that was not a popular limited format. So that's kind of the trifecta there. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Uh, yeah. Other other things of note, Cascade Bluffs um, shot up quite a few bucks and is now at sixteen sixteen. See here, you were AJ. You were going on talking about how the filter lands weren't getting love except for uh, Twilight Mire, and now we see the blue red one taking its rightful place in the upper echelons of land prices. <laughs> but none of the others. Yeah, no, uh, you know, Twilight Mire still sticking there at, at seventeen as well, but Firelight Thicket. Only at about eight dollars, and the other one's really not noteworthy. Yep. Horizon Canopy, also interesting note. Uh, sorry to move on there. Um, went up quite a bit in price, and it's now at about thirteen forty six, um, which doesn't really surprise me. It's a great land, and a great card, um, but just weird yeah. that it just almost doubles in price in about less than a week. Mana early, a card late. Who knew that would be good? Yep. Agreed. Yep. Uh, yeah. Other than that, there's a little movement here and there, uh, but nothing major. Um, overall, modern cards are in, in the middle of a modern PTQ season. Cost money. Yeah. Kills the breeze. Yep. Not, uh, yeah. All right. Uh, move on. we got our question of the week this week. Have you ever played... Uh, I'm going to go ahead and call it two-headed MTGO. So have you played Magic with... Two, no, two of you there, three of you there, a group of you there. Um, and what do you think about it? Is it a problem? Um, um, will I get banned really. if I answer that question? Yes. <laughs> Speak around it, yes. I mean, yeah, and we've kind of already covered that. I don't really think it's an issue um, in in events like that, like that we talked about. And the other, and then in the other cases, I don't see how you prove it. Like, you can't go kicking in Magic players' doors and checking to make sure that they're by themselves um, while they're playing, you know? At, at the risk of getting banned from Magic Online, I mean, I've definitely been at, I was at, I think, Grand Prix DC, and we were doing some last-minute testing both in paper and online. And, like, you know, like, I definitely asked people about, like, spots. Like, hey, like, what do you think happens when we face this deck in this spot here, like we see on this screen, mm-hmm. you know, so... Yeah, I can definitely, I can, I can say though, the, the times when I've had, like I've had friends over because we, there was a tournament that weekend and we were like, hey, let's hop online and draft. Every time I've done that, it has gone, it has been a disaster. Drafting my committee is a terrible idea, just let me tell you. If everyone has their strategy and everyone has their idea and then halfway through the draft you look and you're like, wow, we have three different decks here in 12 picks. This is bad. Uh, <laughs> don't know what we're going to do. Like it's never ended well. The closest I've come is um, chatting on Ventrilo whilst uh, playing, um, usually uh, back in the days when I was uh, with the uh, Serial Killers um, clan. Um, Occasionally we'd have a two-headed giant um, talking on Vent whilst we were playing. Um, It was fun, but it wasn't necessarily... um, But in that case, it's more a case of communicating outside the client where you'd normally be just be chatting within the client. So not quite the same thing. AJ, what do you think about, just really quick, quick aside, what do you think about voice chat integrated into Magic Online? Good idea, bad idea? Good idea because it saves us having to get use external clients for it, depending if they can get us something which works and works well. 
Uh, you don't want something. You don't want something which um, automatically kicks in every time you stick a headset on whilst you've got Magic Online loaded. Um, it needs to be properly configurable. Um, you need to be able to see uh, who exactly you're talking to and who can't talk to you. Um, it'd be tricky to set up right, but if it's done right, then it's done well. AJ's never played Call of Duty before, so I'm gonna say. Yeah. Oh, I've played a few things. Um, <laughs> yeah, see, my, Team, Fort- my mind Team went- Fortress 2 I've done a fair bit. Yeah, my mind immediately went to, like, Xbox Live chats, <laughs> like, with random people. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't want that on Magic Online. <laughs> yeah. There needs to be strong, instantly what's mute muting commands. Um, just to make sure that, um, uh, I don't know, Ace to Fairy 666 doesn't start... Um, yeah, insulting everyone's mother. Yeah. Huh. If only they'd insult just my mother. Yes. Oh, goodness. Okay, yeah, but now we've we've gone off topic there. But, yeah, if you, you know, like I said before in the article, if you have thoughts on the issue of two-headed magic or multiplayer magic in a single player, you know, let us know what you think. Um, yeah, that'd be great. All right. Guys, what you been playing? Ooh... I've been having a great deal of fun. There was the first uh, tribal event of the year, um, and as with last year, I managed to top the standings on it. Uh, did a clean sweep of the um, bonus prizes for various um, decks, which um, uh, for a, a tribe which uh, hasn't done anything much. I did Minotaurs because in the past year or so, you've had um, Minotaur Aggressor released with um, Return to Ravnica which is a 6-2 first strike haste uh, for usually seven mana, but um, you can didgeridoo that out on turn three. Not a way to break didgeridoo. Uh, got, <laughs> <laughs> nice. You've got um, uh, Zedru the Great Hearted, um, drop a um, Delusions of Grandeur, uh, following et- opponent end step, drop Zedru, your upkeep, donate the Delusions, great fun. And, of course, Ethereum Horn Sorcerers, because sometimes you just need something with a 3-6 uh, body, which you can bounce back to hand whenever anybody tries to point removal at it. Seems good. All right, well, congratulations. Yep. Ethereum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, well, Sebastian, congratulations oh, yeah, on that. I mean, Wait, just real quick, quick aside. If any of our Australian listeners could write us in and let us explain to us why a Digiridoo summons Minotaurs, I would be really appreciative. Uh, okay, Sebastian. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I always, the highlight of my day is always listening to AJ describe what he did today and me going, huh, does that actually work? And they go like, huh, I guess it does. Yeah. Um, as for me, I, uh, I've i been playtesting standard nonstop. I, 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 did, I did have to take a couple of days off to go to a World Series of Poker Circuit event. But after that, I've been playtesting standard nonstop, been playing a lot of Black Red, been trying to play some blue white, been trying to play this and that, and really just you know losing and winning, uh, mostly losing, then winning, then losing again. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I- I'm really forward to Grand Prix um, Atlantic City. So hopefully, if you guys are there, give me a holler. I will be um, sh- either playing or shadowing a judge, uh, trying to get to my level one judge certification eventually. Nice, cool. Uh, as for myself, I'm kind of in, the, in a similar boat. I've been starting to play some standard because there is a Star City Games event coming to Dallas. I'm saying that with air quotes because it's actually in Fort Worth, but whatever. Um, in the next couple of weeks. Same, same yeah. Um, so I'm getting prepared for that. 
to hopefully have a better showing than the most recent SCG Dallas event that I played in. So yeah, um, haven't really slipped. Kind of like you, just jumping around from deck to deck, trying to figure out what I can play and what I want to play. Um, haven't settled on anything yet, so we'll see. Okay, I think we are good to go. That should cover the podcast for this week. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. If you have any comments, um, questions, constructive criticism, feel free to leave it in there. And also, don't forget, we do have our email address, which is freedfromtherealmtgo at gmail.com. All one word, freedfromtherealmtgo at gmail.com. Thanks. So uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you guys next week. Dylan? I'm really good at that.